1: To the Manage Madrid podcast, it is a Thursday edition, uh, bonus edition of sorts, because we 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 didn't really have a Girona journalist to bring in for a match preview. Um, last night we did a mailbag for patrons, and we just thought, hey, what the hell? Matt Wiltsey wrote a great article last week about the s- signings that Real Madrid have made um, of you know the promising youngsters since the t- turn of the century. And we thought, hey, let's bring Matt on to talk about his article. Matt, how are you doing, man?
2: I'm doing well. I'm excited to uh, talk about this article, especially given uh, Vinicius just scored a nice double last night. So it comes at a good time. We got a youngster up and coming. And now we can uh, take a look back at some of these guys we signed over the past 21st century and uh, see how, how all these careers kind of panned out. They're all different. They all have their di- a different story. So it'll be fun.
1: So your article was called "Taking a Look Back: Real Madrid Wonder Kids of the 21st Century," um, and it was to, to examine the careers of Real Madrid's former young stars. Well, not all former; some are current. But basically, tell us the parameters. That, like what what fit your criteria in writing this article?
2: So, tried to keep the parameters pretty simple, but pretty strict at the same time. Um, we're looking back at each season since the start of the 21st century, and we examine any signing. Or official promotion to the Real Madrid first team. So, not debut, it's actual promotion from Castilla uh, to the first team. And the player has to be at or below the age of 20. And then for most of these guys, we have perspective. Obviously, some of these guys are still in their career or ongoing, but we have a large enough sample size to use uh, as perspective and kind of talk about how their career panned out.
1: You and Based on those parameters, like you and I talked about this off air a bit, Um, it surprisingly narrows it down more than I think you would generally would anticipate. If you if you made a list of all of the you know the best young Real Madrid players, it would be very long. If you were to narrow it down to players who have made their debut or called up to the first team under the age of twenty, it's surprisingly small. Um And. So so I guess were you surprised about that? Were you surprised that the list ended up being shorter than you I'm sure you were relieved too cuz you didn't have to write like a yeah. million words.
2: Yeah, you're right. In both on both occasions. Um, I was surprised but when you I mean when you think about it, a lot of guys if if I just upped the parameter by 1 year to 21, I think the li- the list would have been a lot longer. Um And a lot of guys like they make their debut maybe at 20 or 19, but they don't actually officially get promoted. They play one game and then they're off on loan. And yes, they're hyped up, but were they? They weren't actually part of that first team squad. So that I wanted, I wanted to keep the list uh, a good size, but also guys that were actually part of this team, actually part of Real Madrid, and were full bona fide like star young stars. I mean, we all had for most of them, high hopes. Some of them fulfilled those hopes and some of them did not. Um, I
1: may, I may have, like, I, I didn't, I didn't go through and take the time and see if I can prove you wrong if there's a player you missed. Um, and I honestly have, have no energy for that and I completely trust you because you're a fantastic writer and you know your shit. But something that came to my mind, like, just now, there was a player called Miguel Palanca. Do you remember him?
2: Yes. I didn't. I, do you consider? I get. Was he promoted? I don't uh, know.
1: So he made his debut two thousand eight. That was ten years ago. Yeah, uh, I, re- I
2: remember he made his debut during the clasica.
1: Yeah, I don't know if he actually fits under twenty. I think he may have been twenty at the time. At any rate, he's not significant enough to make a list, regardless he fits the criteria or not. The only reason I yeah. mention it is because the Miguel Palanca experience, which lasted three games, I think for Real Madrid. He was
2: 21. Was 20, he 21? Okay. 20, yep. Let's
1: let's talk about him because he's yeah. he is, otherwise no one will ever know about him <laughs> until the day we die and it's our duty here today to make him relevant for 10 seconds. <laughs> Miguel Palanca. Uh he's was born in, in Tarragona, Spain. He's now 30. He's playing four. He's still playing. That's a, so two things uh, blew my mind about just looking this up right now. He's still playing, uh, and he's playing in Greece. And he's only 30 years old. It's, it, I feel like it was like three decades ago when we saw him come on against Barca. And the story of that game goes. Um, that was the December Classic in 2008. And we were going into the camp. No, literally was zero players. Um, there was, everyone was injured. Everyone from Robin and Robinho, like our whole like starting 11 was basically makeshift and we had no one to go into that game with. We lost 2-0. And in the second half, we're like, okay, well, this game is clearly out of reach. I don't even think it was possible to find anyone on the bench you could bring on. And this guy, kid named Miguel Palenca comes on and no one even knew him at the time. It's not like he was blowing away anything with Castilla. He was promoted just for that game and he came on for... Schneider he came on in the second half at some point and that was it and then I think he played another game against Valencia later in the season and and he was gone so there's there's a shout out to Palenka. do you remember anything yeah, he made, differently from him
2: Yeah I, he made it looks like he made 3 appearances for the team that year and like you said I remember I remember just being completely shocked when he came on he, I be, I believe he came on at halftime I was just like, who is this kid? I've I've never even heard of him. There was no, no one had heard of him. Like, there was no talk of him in Castilla. Um, He wasn't one of those big up-and-coming names, and Juan de Ramos just threw him on there. And he actually, he didn't play, I remember, he didn't play poorly in that Clásico. He didn't really have a big impact. We ended up losing, but um, he, he didn't play poorly, and he never was really given much of an opportunity after this. Two games like Real Madrid and then Valencia a week later, but after that he, he was just kind of forgotten about.
1: Um, that was that was a game where I think our expectations were were, were crazy low, and um, actually maybe some revisionist history. The, the the team wasn't as bad as I thought it was, but we were missing Robin, we were missing uh, Robinho, we were missing. Um, I remember who else we were missing, but basically I remember we had that one opportunity in the first half where drenthe was one on one with Valdez and he missed it and that was I like our that. one chance to, to to salvage anything from this game who by the way drenthe is on your list so let's get into it the first name on your list is Sergio Ramos um needs no introduction he um you mentioned that we signed him for twenty seven million euros. At the time, it seemed steep, record for a teenager, um, but we can all agree that he's been a bargain.
2: Yeah, I mean, and we... I, I mentioned in the article, looking back, I mean, there were there were definitely growing pains. Um, the game against Barcelona where Ronaldinho just... Oh, my God, peak Ronaldinho. No one could stop him, so you got to feel for a young Sergio, but he just had his way with him. And then I think everyone remembers the Champions League round of 16 against Arsenal... At home, first leg in the Santiago Bernabéu, and Thierry on Regis has his way, goes through our whole team, and stiff arms Ronaldo or Ramos on his way to, way to goal, and um, but I I I know we've talked about it a little bit before. I think even at 19 years old, Ramos for me was he was I mean, granted the quality of our squad was far far inferior to what it is now, but he was still he was a one of the first names on the team sheet, he was, especially his second season when he started playing right back, he was, he, I I was just so impressed with him as a teenager. He just had all the physical tools. He had the technique. Like, you could see that he was going to be a great player. And you saw, like, you saw kind of already at that young age, the leadership qualities in him. Like, you saw he was going to be a future cog for Madrid. Um, So, i I, I mean, obviously, he went through his growing pains, and I think people sometimes maybe forget that. But at the same time, I don't want people to think, like, he wasn't one of the best teenagers out there because he was.
1: His talent, his agility, his athleticism uh, at that time was unbelievable. Like, it was, it's like, oh, my God, how is this guy a defender? And he just, he's a freak. He was, he was an athletic freak. And... It's kind of crazy to look back now. Like you, you mentioned um, the the Ronaldinho getting card by Ronaldinho and Henri, and you know peak Ronaldinho and Henri, which they were both were at the time, by the way, um, could do that to anyone. So it's so we kind of give him some some slack there. But the weird thing is that Ramos had all these wrinkles in his game th- throughout, like and a lot of growing pains, as you mentioned, and. It wasn't until later in his career where he became like a big game player, like where we really relied on him. Like, I had no doubts going into Paris that Ramos will step up, win or lose, because we see a lot of brain farts in the smaller games, but in the big games, there's never been a question, um, especially later in his career. The interesting thing about him is that when he was a right back, he was vocal about saying he wanted to be a center back. And we were all like, no, please don't give this guy what he asked for because he'd be a disaster there. Um, His positioning seems wonky. He attacks a lot. And now you look back, you're like, how was this guy ever a right back? Like, thank God for that transition because you're like, when you look at him play now stylistically, you can't even picture him, the fact that he was a right back for so much of his career and he just transitioned there. But I think you're thankful for it. It's, and it's weird. I remember the last time, we experimented putting him back there as a right back in a big game, in a meaningful game. Was when Mourinho did it in Dortmund, and we got roasted just collectively, and and that was like the last time we saw him there. And sometimes you just forget that this guy was a right back, you know?
2: Yeah, he. I th- I feel like he uh, when he really came of age was when Mourinho moved him. In Back into center back, because he was playing right back for, I mean, even when Mourinho's first year, he was still playing a little bit of right back. And uh, I I, I honestly, because his first season with the club as a 19-year-old, he actually started and played as a center back. And then when Capello came in, he moved him out to right back. And I always, always preferred him as a center back. I always thought he was much better as a center back, because he always... He seemed to always get caught out, and um, he, he fouled just so much as a right back. Um, he, always, he was always getting caught out and just fouled a lot. But one thing that he was able to provide back then with his incredible, like you said, agility and athleticism, all the physical attributes he really had, um, he could just bomb forward, and he was a great attacking right back. Um, and his cutback, his Cruyff and his little cutback was, was famed. So, uh, and growing up, I mean, I played a lot of right-backs, So growing up, uh, he was the guy I looked to, and uh, that cutback became one of my go-to moves, so I credit Sergio for that.
1: I think it was the oh six, oh seven season, I could be wrong, where we, we beat Barca 2-0 in the Clasico, and it was like within the first minute where right-back Ramos bombs up the field and puts in this beautiful cross to Raul, yep, who heads it home. I
2: remember that.
1: That was the best. Yeah, that was like the my main memory as Ramos' is right back. Like, wow, he could yeah. do that, and we just yeah. we forgot that 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 version of Ramos exists. And I think we like that the transition we see now. We see what he's become, um, but it's just kind of weird to think about. Like, he was such a different player earlier in his career.
2: And I mean, and that's that's kind of the point. Like, we can see how these guys all evolve, and they're not yeah. going to be the same player that they were at nineteen, twenty, twenty one, twenty two that they are at. 29, 30, 31. And same thing with Ronaldo. He's a completely different player. I know he's not on this list obviously, but it's these guys are all going to evolve, they're all going to change and it's one of the nice things is, is when you have someone like Ramos who comes in at 19, then grows up with this team, becomes a club legend, becomes a symbol of Madrisimo. like it's that's everything you could ever ask for when you sign one of these young players. And so we just got to, I, I think Ohm's talked about it before, you just got to enjoy the process and enjoy watching these guys develop, because yeah, not all of them are going to pan out, and we're going to keep going down the list here, but it's nice when you do have someone like Sergio Ramos come through, like, that's that's what it's all about, so.
1: Which, by the way, they almost never pan out, like, statistically, factually, the, the percentage, the, the chance of, one of those players panning out and becoming a Raul, becoming a Ramos, becoming a Casillas are insanely rare. So when when they do come along, you, you cling to them. And I wrote about this in my Raul article uh, earlier in the week. It's that we were waiting for a player like this since Di, Stef- Di Stefano, essentially. And then we thought when Raul retired, we had no idea when we, we would get the next Raul. And it turns out Ronaldo came along and was blew everyone's minds away. But... We've been waiting for like the next Raul, the next X, like so many times throughout our lives and they just don't arrive and they yeah. just don't live up to it. And they're so rare and you, you just have to appreciate it. You know, um, the next guy we're going to talk about was supposed to be the next Redondo. Fernando Gago signed in 2006, 2007, along in that in that was that this it was the same year where it would be brought in Higuain and Marcelo. Did they all come in yep. the same window? or was?
2: Yep, they all came in the winter market of 2006-2007 season. And uh, back then, the president was Ramon Calderon. Uh, our sporting director was Miha. Mih- I can never say his name well. Mih- Mihatovich. Mihatovich.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. And then Capello was the coach. And we had a lot. Our, our squad was pretty old back then. A lot of players over 30. So they wanted to rejuvenate the squad and sign three uh, jewels a quote unquote of the South American market and Fernando Gago is probably the most talked about and most hyped of the three of Higuain, Gago and Marcelo.
1: Yeah. Um I had really high hopes for Gago, as did a lot of people, but I was super excited about Gago. And and certainly you're right. Out of those three who came that some that winter, um everyone was looking at Gago. I think if anyone, if anyone saw like Iguain, for example, come around, it was like a bonus. Um, Marcelo was still relatively unknown then. We we just didn't know he was also the youngest of three. He was 18. That was actually at a weird time that even in Canada we actually got a chance to see a lot of Boca juniors. Um, they showed a lot on TV, in both highlights, both full games. Um, and Gago was incredible. Like we never really saw that version of Gago when he came over to Europe. Uh, by the way, he's still playing, um, regularly for Boca and he's back there yeah. and he's part of the national team. So good for him to be able to prolong his career as much as possible. Um, he never lived up to it bar like a few games here and there where he looked good. Um, but he never could. Live up to certainly not even close to Redondo, um I think he was compared to him mostly because stylistically he was he was kind of elegant but not as elegant. he was tall, he was a deep lying playmaker, um, but he wasn't nearly as efficient, his passing wasn't as good, his tackling was good, um but I'm not sure his positioning made up for it, and essentially we got a couple years of gago. A few years of Gago, a couple where he played consistently. And uh, I mentioned this on last night's Patreon podcast, Matt, because someone asked me to go through, someone asked if this was the darkest time to be a Real Madrid fan. And it's like, I had to just like set people straight, like, oh my God, no, you have no idea. Nah. <laughs> you have no idea what it was like. And oh three, oh four was a disaster. The The early 90s, like towards the end of Boucho time time was, was not impressive at all. We were mostly in the UEFA Cup. Uh, we finished sixth in the year in the league one year, and there was those was like what dozen years that we go out in the Champions League. And then there was six years, uh, six years, that was the worst. six years straight where we were going out in the round of sixteen. The most traumatizing of those six, in my opinion, there was all six of them were bad. The don't, um, but if I were to rank them, I think the most traumatizing was the four nil at Anfield where we lost uh, to Liverpool and Gago just looked completely out of his depth, and not only in that game, and, and also just like in the 6-2 in El Classico, Clasico, um, him and Lass just couldn't really mesh together in, in the midfield, and I won't lie, if you go back and you think about Gago, it's mostly bad memories, unfortunately.
2: <laughs> that 2008, I think it's 2008-2009 season, we had the all-white kits with the collar, black stripes, like. that's when we lost to liverpool that's the 16 oh my god yeah that those were that was definitely a hard hard season um and i feel like gago you're right he it's disappointing he never lived up to his potential i always liked him i always had a soft spot for him yeah me too um he he just he was ravaged by injuries too by the end like by the end of his time with madrid he kept getting reoccurring knee injuries and Uh, he actually, I I remember watching, I was like shocked to see him. He was back in the fold with Argentina um, earlier this year. And as soon as he came on, it was like two minutes, he was subbed on. And then as soon as he came on, he like tore his ACL and he started crying and he wanted to keep playing. I felt so bad for him. Yeah. Um, But, and that's just been a reoccurring theme in his career. Injuries have not helped him, but you're right. He just never, I felt like he never had the system too, to really, he had the like at one point under Schuster. It was I think the midfield was Gago, Schneider, Guti midfield three yeah. with ravino Rude, and Raúl in front of him. And uh, like Gago is the lone defensive mid with that type of midfielder. Are you can the, the, he was a kid who didn't have that. He didn't have the physical. He wasn't a Conte. He didn't have the physical tools to the motor, or anything like that. He was more if you wanted to. He was a more Pirlo type, a little bit more defensive than Pirlo because like you said, he could make a tackle, but. He wasn't the type of player that was just going to be an engine and motor and be able to cover all that ground and clean up everything. And when you got Guti and Schneider in front of you, he was not going to do much defensive work. he was, no wonder he didn't look too good. But then once we brought in last, he did have a partner. And even then it's still, it was so disorganized. We never had a good system and it it just brought out the worst in uh, Gago, unfortunately. And I think Mourinho actually liked him and wanted to keep him around, but his injuries meant he could never play. His last, I think, his last, um, his last year with us, he only played like five games or something because he just kept getting injured.
1: Um, look, the 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 Gago Guti Schneider thing was actually, in a way, um, completely amazing compared to some of the horror shows we saw like in previous years. Cause there were, I remember there were games where we had Guti and Beckham was were, were our two central midfielders in a four four two. Um, in all this, I feel I felt bad for Guti the most. I felt like he's he's probably the most talented of everyone in this midfield, and he's just. And there were games where he would actually carry the team, and I and I I felt better when Capello came around and kind of tried to solidify a bit. He paired Guti next to players like Mamadou Diara, Emerson, um, and just tried to to solidify it a bit, and and that really brought out the best in Guti. But you're right. I mean that that midfield. I think they were hoping Gago could become a defensive midfielder, if not stylistically, at least in terms of like a modern presence where you don't, you're not a destroyer, but you're an organizer, uh, you're a distributor, and, and Gago just never could do that at an elite level. So of the yeah. three that came that, that winter, I think we can agree that Gago was the least successful.
2: Yeah, and, and as, as we said, was the most hyped.
1: The most hyped. The second most successful... And probably least hyped. I don't know if he was le- less hyped. I than think Marcelo
2: was Marcelo was the least hyped. I think nobody knew nobody really knew Marcelo.
1: So Iguain is. I think a lot of people had a hate love relationship with him, and it wasn't until his third season where he really took off. Like from '08 to '010, those two seasons he was great. He was fantastic. I think the biggest knock on him. Uh, because by the end of it, his goal-scoring ratio was pretty good for Real Madrid. His biggest knock is that he never really could score those goals in Europe. It got better when he left. Like in Napoli, he was scoring goals in Europe. Um, with Juve, he's, he's been good. This season, he's been good in Europe. It was great to see Iguain basically eat up so many La Liga teams for breakfast. One of the the worst images i have and it's not it's not a bad image of him it's it's more of a uh, i'm trying to say it was a traumatizing moment was his open net miss against leon which was i think the sixth straight year at that point where we were knocked out at that stage of the champions league
2: yeah i i began because i think that was a second straight year against leon too i despise leon i like i as a madrid fan we just we were we didn't even like being paired against Leon. Like the, the, If you want darker days, those are darker days. And, um, But for me, I I personally, I had more of the love relationship with Higuain. I really, I, some of the performances he had, like in 08-09, you remember against Malaga, we were behind. It was at the Santiago Bernabeu. Um, I think it was 3-2, Malaga were winning. Higuain had already scored two goals, and then he scores two more, he scored four in the game, we ended up winning, it was like 4-3 in the 90-something minute, yeah. and Higuain had scored all four goals, I was just like, oh my god, the, the, he put the team on his back, he was still only like 22 maybe, 21 then, and he he was phenomenal for us for a while, he scored crucial goals both times in Pamplona, uh, multiple in 07-08, uh, and then the season we won, uh, I think it was eleven and twelve. Yeah. He he scored the winning goal in Pamplona against Osasuna, and um, honestly, for me, I think again injuries. After do you remember he had that herniated lumbar disc in his back and he had to get surgery? I felt like he was never quite the same after he ha- he got that surgery in his back and he because Benzema couldn't he beat Benzema the first year Benzema came uh, came over to Madrid and. Higuain was the number one starting striker and then the following year he started out really well, was still the number one and then he had that injury and then he was never the same after that.
1: He was never the same for Real Madrid but he went on to be really, I I think his peak was probably 15, 16 with His last season with Napoli he was just unbelievable. So I'm happy he got back to that level and probably actually surpassed the level but he never got back to that level for Real Madrid. Um. And there was, obviously, there was always a debate. Benzema or Higuain, Benzema or Higuain. In some cases, we saw both of them in a 4-4-2. Um, but you, you mentioned the four goals against Malaga. There was another one. It was against Sevilla. He didn't score. I think he may have scored a brace, but he scored for sure the winning goal. Also, that was like in the very last minute of the game. And always, maybe it was against Getafe. See, this is the thing. Like we have a lot of good memories of Iguain in La Liga. It's just it never really translated to Europe. And like the, yeah, you're right. the eye test backed it up. The numbers backed it up. It's um. I'm I'm glad he kind of like is getting the shtick off of him this year. And you know, scoring against Tottenham in the second leg. And but and, my God, I mean, that was the biggest justification was when we sold him. And was like I, we just don't know if he can he can put you uh, on his back and in, in a do or die Champions League. Game, you know? We, I just spent so much time writing that article about Raul, and half the article was just examples of Raul going into these desperate situations and, and scoring these really clutch goals, and we never really felt like that with Higuain in Europe.
2: Yeah, and I don't, I mean, he, what we can say of Iguain is, you're, you're spot on, like, he, he never had that killer touch in Europe, and that's, I mean, Madrid is all about the Champions League, and that's what it's all about, and so, but what we can say is he was, I mean, at, at the end of the day, this article is looking at were these kids Madrid quality. And Higuaín was Madrid quality. He is and was Madrid quality. He's proven to be one of the best strikers in the game with Napoli and Juventus. And so that's the other thing. Is, yeah, these kids, and he spent six largely successful years here. It's not like he was only here for two years. He spent six seasons at Madrid. So uh, not all these kids are going to spend their life at Madrid and they May, they may end up being protagonists elsewhere and they are still Madrid quality and they still turn out to be great players But they're not going to spend their life at Madrid. So uh, li- Like we said, there's different stories for every player and Higuain is one of those guys who he was a great young player great young signing He turned out to be a phenomenal player and turned out to be Madrid quality, but he, he wasn't going to spend his whole career here.
1: Marcelo the cheapest of the three the most successful the biggest bargain what, what what more can we say about him that hasn't been said already I'm, i don't know if there's
2: nothing there's no he's the mo- for me he's the most unique player in world football
1: i yeah there's never been a left back like him actually maybe a player like him i yeah, I, I i don't know if there's anyone that can dribble the way he does from his position um, and I'm trying to think back, like Roberto Carlos was a really, really good, uh, Roberto Carlos was a different kind of dribbler. Like he's the type of player who would do like 18 step overs and beat you with pace. And that was really fun. Cause he was like a bowling ball. He was like, he was strong, powerful, irreplaceable, indispensable, a legend Marcelo's dribbling is completely different. It's controlled. It's composed. It's it's less about power and more about just pure raw skill in tight spaces. And this is the craziest thing: is that very very serious conversations can be taken place that Marcelo's better than Roberto Carlos now, and that was unfathomable like a few years ago. Like even because you mentioned your article, it took six. it took what? How many years that Marcelo kind of was kind of raw and and, and uh and struggled? Yeah,
2: it wasn't. It wasn't until really like till Jose Mourinho came around that he started to improve in defense and really and, started to make that position his own.
1: And even then, um, it's not like he was a complete revelation defensively Cause, yeah. And and we think we kind of think in our heads, oh, Marcelo came it was, uh, a few years ago, Marcelo. Really stepped up. It really wasn't even that long ago. I think because I wrote an article about Marcel in two thousand fifteen or sixteen for four four two, outlining all of his defensive frailties and backing it up and and showing examples of how how naive he can be defensively. And that was like two years ago. It was I'm not even sure if it was two years ago, but I think we've seen strides then. But even this season, we've seen a lot of things that you know, like if you play Marcelo, you better have a defensive scheme that covers for him. Because you're not playing left-back. You're playing an extra uh, an extra unlocker of defenses from a deeper position. He's not a defender. So if you're going to play him, you have to have a scheme that accommodates for him. Um, and I think that's why you kind of see like a lot of the presences on the left, which is kind of weird. Like Because if you look at Zidane's scheme, you bail Benzema. These guys spend a lot of time on the left. East go too. And on the right, it's like Carvajal almost has that whole flank to himself unless Lucas Vasquez plays there uh on, unless Modric is doing a lot of deep work right in the flank. And it's weird because all of the offensive firepower is on the left, and the defensive coverage is mostly on the right. And it it feels like it should be the opposite. Like so many times this season we've seen Marcelo just completely out of place. And like, okay, it's fine. We have we have cover for him, right? And like, nope, we just we just don't. And um, whether you go back to the game against Celta uh, and Balaidos, uh, against Girona, it's, you've seen examples of this. So it's not like Marcelo is not going to be known for his defense. And he's, if he's not known for it now, he's not ever going to be. But what he does with the ball, um, I don't think I've ever seen, ever.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's so... What I love about him, he's so natural and he's so nonchalant about the way... He pulls things off, and it's just sometimes you just you just laugh like when you see it, it's just You just your jaw drops, and you just laugh, you're like oh my god, how do you how do you do that? And so, I mean, like you said, he's not going to be known for his defensive skills. Although I do think it has improved dramatically dramatically, dramatically since he was a young player, um, but he's he's got that he more than makes up with it because he's got that... He's a secret weapon. He comes from deep and can completely unlock a defense. So, I mean, what, what, like you said, what more can be said about Marcella?
1: Royston Drenthe is the next one on your list. Wow. Do you, <laughs> do you... Where were you when we signed Drenthe and how much did you know about him?
2: So, I had... I felt... I was really, really excited about Trete because I had been following the under-21 European Championships, and he lit it up. Like yeah. he, he looked like Ronaldinho. He was pulling off snakes. He yeah. kind of stylistically, like, a little bit played like that, and uh, outside of the foot snake and scissors, and he was so, he just had all the tools. He was, he was an athletic specimen. He had speed. He had strength. He had technique, a powerful left foot. I mean, he, he had it all. And uh, he was young. I mean, I was really, really, really excited about him. He came out his debut. He scores that golasso in the Super Cup. I mean, it. This this the ceiling was so high with it. I think everyone was pretty excited. And then he's probably the biggest one on this. One of the biggest disappoint, disappointments on this list. And it's oh my goodness, the guy retired by 30 years old after very disappointing career he was by all accounts a huge flop and um i'm sure you saw how he revealed to marca that he went out many nights in madrid couldn't say no and as a real madrid player it's impossible to to give up all these parties the beautiful girls the beautiful city um so it just the attitude was never there for him and he he had it all to be one of the next level left winger left what left backs but it just never came together
1: so he was crazy good in that 2007 under 21 european championship like just i was like my god this guy's so exciting i can't wait for this guy to come i think what unfolded after that like and if you look at his whole career at that very moment if you were to like carve out uh, a worst case scenario path for him. It was what happened basically, where he just he played over f- five seasons for Real Madrid. I think he played forty forty to forty five appearances. What he had over those forty five uh, over those five seasons, and apart from a few moments of brilliance, like I remember he had a really great golasso against Sevilla from deep in the it was a Spanish Super Cup. Those moments were so sporadic. Where and this is the problem is that he just didn't care about football like he did not did not care sometimes we can make that a claim about a football and it's not true because we just don't know what's in their head and we're assuming and it's unfair he didn't care he didn't had no interest in playing football and that that obviously when you show up to your work and you just don't care that that's a huge difference and it's not like when he was 30 and he retired it's not like there was no single team on earth that wouldn't take a gamble on him it's um, he, you know, he didn't really find a club, but it was just like, you know, what? I just kind of want to rap instead now, and that's what it was. And, he, and then he was gone.
2: Yeah, I mean, he was definitely one of the biggest disappointments.
1: Yeah. Um, Danny Parejo is next on your list.
2: So this is Danny Parejo is uh, an interesting one. I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts as well. He was dubbed the Jewel of La Fabrica by Alfredo De Stefano and he was, I mean, if there was any player that was weird, I, I felt most Madrid fans were really excited about coming from the Cantera. It was Danny Parejo. He was the first guy to really come up since the likes of Raul Guti and Iker, Iker Casillas. And um, he was promoted to the first team in the summer of 2008, but he was immediately loaned out to QPR that summer. And they, won't, I, I remember Madrid saying they wanted him to gain that extra physicality, add that that uh, aspect to his game, so that he'd come back and be ready to take on the next level at Madrid. And halfway through the season, as we talked about, that two thousand eight, two thousand nine season was just horrendous. Uh, Schuster was fired, Juan de Ramos was brought in, and Parejo was brought back, and the club made frantic signings and Huntelaar and Lastiara, and so. Danny never really got an opportunity to play. I mean, I I personally was I loved him when he played. He had he was so silky. He just played the quick one twos, quick one touch. Uh, he had an incredible touch. Uh, I I I want I, I was rooting for him. I thought he was gonna be one of the next big stars. I I wanted a young Spanish player to come up through the team. Um, I liked how he played stylistically. I I just liked everything about him. But he was never really given the opportunity and. Is I guess the question is Danny Parejo Real Madrid quality. I I think probably I think he could definitely be a squad player here without a doubt and a very good one. But I don't think. But the real I think the real answer is he never hit those heights that were expected of him, um, and for that he might be dubbed a disappointment. I
1: I like the idea of what he represented was a uh, a homegrown basically talented central midfielder who could pull strings together nice stylistically i like what he represented i i didn't like the way he played on the pitch to be honest i i never was that impressed with him i think what he represented and what fans wanted him to be and hope to be was a lot more than what he could do um i also i also think he was he's he was wildly inconsistent. This is the best year of his career by far it's not even close. Like, this is the first year he's actually showed us what he can do and like, oh wow, this is the player you were supposed to be. Congratulations, you're 28. Which is not that old now. I mean, like he's actually young so it's not, it's not, his career is not bad by any means and Marcelino has got him to play really good this season. Last season, he was wildly inconsistent. He was frustrating to watch. He had temper tantrums. He's kind of like the the um I think if you were to make like a, a table of the most annoying players in La Liga, it would be like Jordi Alba, Raul Garcia. Uh and I think Parejo would would find a seat there. Just <laughs> he's and the fact that he was so inconsistent, um I think it you know it drove Valencia fans last season. He mentioned himself like he can't go out in the street because fans just will shout, shout abuse at him, which is not okay. And, um, you know, side note, I'm really glad that Andre Gomez actually got uh, a nice reception yesterday at the Camp Nou because I, I firmly believe that these guys go through severe mental health problems and we just don't hear about it. But um, it's kind of cool to see what Marcelino has brought out in him, not only in terms of discipline, in terms of consistency, but also surrounding him with better players Um, like putting someone like Condogbia next to him, Soler and Guedes, like people who he actually can play with, people who can help him defensively, who can take the offensive load off of him to create. He looks really good. I would agree with you that he could pull off a squad role in this team. I don't think he's he's a starter, but at this age of his career, if this is his ceiling, I think his ceiling is probably good enough to be a squad player. But overall, Matt, I... That Danny Parejo experience for me was was not like something like oh my god what what a shame like it, I I don't know I didn't I wasn't that high on him to begin with to be honest yeah
2: I, I think I was probably maybe a little bit more high on him than you were um, but I agree I think we when it comes down to it he just he didn't he's the best his ceiling is a squad player here and I mean that's he's not gonna He's not gonna hit the heights that people expected of him. Um, it wasn't again another one of these young players that they don't all pan out. And so you just gotta you gotta have patience with them, and you can't overhype them because you know you, you just don't know how it's all gonna turn out.
1: Unfairly for him too. Um, we had just seen Ruben Dela Red come into the team, who blew our minds.
2: Oh my God. Don't get me started on Ruben De La Red, yeah. He was my favorite. I'm devastated for him.
1: I I think Ruben De La Red would have been a club legend. <laughs> I agree. He, no, yeah. I
2: don't I don't even think that's embellishment. Like I agree. Yeah. Um he was phenomenal. He was
1: outrageously, outrageously good. Aesthetically perfect. Um and we had just seen him come in the, the previous season, I think it was. And, and then he Delared didn't play at all the, the season where Pirojo came in. Um, but we were just kind of like, hey, you're not Delared. <laughs> and that's, yeah. not, that's not fair to him. But um, Sergio Canales. Tell us about him.
2: So Sergio Canales really just shot onto the scene with racing Santander. Um, as an 18-year-old, he kind of like around the November December time frame burst onto the scene started getting some games and scored two goals um, and immediately following his two goals I don't know if it was on his debut or not but immediately following his two goals he scored again in another match and just became the subject of a very common transfer war between Real Madrid and Barcelona and uh, Madrid would ultimately win the win the war we signed him for 4.5 million. Uh, he was signed in the, that winter, but he was loaned back to Racing Santander to continue playing and then would join the team in the summer of 2010 when Jose Mourinho first uh, took over. And he actually played amazing in the preseason, scored against Club America on his debut. He started the first match of the season relegating Ozil to the bench. And uh, But from there, it was just downhill. He never really got much more minutes he only played 518 minutes for the club 10 appearances in that one and only season and another guy that was just ravaged by knee injuries and it's it's a shame because again it was another one i had i hopes for yeah i really liked the way he played uh he kind of reminded me of guti a little bit um i don't know if that's because he looks a little bit like him but he, he's a little bit played like him and uh i i i had high hopes for him
1: i did too i i I think the Canales thing was more sad than anything, right? Like, he was really talented. Um, For Racing, like, there was definitely... There was one game where he played against Real Madrid, and I think that's where we, like, really caught our eye. It was like, wow, this guy is really good. Um, And unfortunately, injuries just destroyed him, and that's really sad. And they were kind of out of... They were out of his control, and you just kind of feel bad for him. It's not like he... And I, and I think it's really hard mentally to recover from all that. How um, many yeah.
2: tore his ACL three times? Something I think three times. Right? It was
1: like always something. Like one it was never playing, nothing. Like it was always something.
2: Yeah, and one time playing against Real Madrid, I remember it was like his one of his first games back, and then he tore it again playing at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid. So it just, I always felt for him. He's starting to, I mean, starting to find some good rhythm now with uh, Real Sociedad.
1: Yeah, he is. I mean, like, so he's been there for five years. He had he played 36 games, sorry, 43 games in 14-15, which was um, the most of his career, which is good. Um, had more injuries in next season. Bounced back 16-17. This season, it's been weird because uh, he's been playing regularly, so it seems like his injury, knock on wood his injuries are, are a bit behind him which is nice to see cuz he's still only 27 like it feels like Canales has been around forever he's still young yeah um he to me like and this is coming from someone who's watched a lot of Sociedad this season he he hasn't been good and up until the last 2 3 months he's actually been really good and i'm not sure where this resurgence has come from um, but he played really well against Barca, which surprised me because, like, the, the game before, I was like, "Why is this guy even playing?" Like, this is an elephant in the room. Like, he's playing all this time, and he's doing nothing, and and then a- ever since that, he just kind of turned it around and he's looked good. So I'm happy for him. Um, you know, Canales is one of those guys, good kid. You want him to succeed, so hopefully, hopefully, he can make a career out of it. Rafael Varan. Needs no introduction. Yeah. I don't know how, how do much to... more we can say about him, but please, please tell us.
2: <laughs> no introduction, as you said. Um, and when we, so when Varan kind of came onto the scene, he was only 17 years old. He was breaking into the lens scene, um, And he, if you remember, Sir Alex Ferguson was all over him as well. Manchester United were dying to sign him. Um, but it was our man, Zinedine Zidane, that made the difference. Uh, it was a phone call from Zidane that kind of convinced Varane. Brought him, they brought him out to Valdebetas, gave him the full tour, uh, and he, he, he was convinced from there. And When he came in, no, we really didn't know anything about him. I remember uh, the summer he came in when uh, Real Madrid came out to Philadelphia. Uh, I saw them play against the Union, and Varane got to start that game. And I, I was impressed. He, he was assured. He was composed, um, and he was only eighteen years old. I was like, mm, this this young kid's got this young kid's got a chance. And uh, every time he got an opportunity, he played well. And uh, fortunately for Varane, I mean, unlike Canales and Gago, he's dealt with injuries as well as we all know. And he ruptured his knee ligaments early in his career, but ultimately it didn't. Tail his development too much. He's gone on to be a rock at the back for us. So, um, And he's now finally kind of, his battle with Pepe's finally ended. He's been able to cement himself as one of the first names on the team sheet. He's a future captain, future legend of the club, already has three Champions League titles to his name. I mean, like you said, not much else can be said about Varane. We got this one right.
1: You wrote about this, but the fact that he took that phone call when he was really young from Zidane and then he was he didn't know who it was but then he recognized the voice and then he realized it was Zidane and then he said he asked if he could they could talk later because he couldn't talk at that moment because he was studying for for university exams and then he said that people thought he was crazy because he hung up on Zidane (laughs) (laughs) well if if I was that was me in that moment I'd be like okay I'll be I'll be there in 10 minutes I'm quitting school right now no problem like I'm
2: (laughs) I would have been like, if I like thought it was a joke or something and then I realized it was done, I'd be like trying to call him back like like crazy. Like, oh my
1: God. I wouldn't take the risk. I'd be like, oh my God, what if this, ne- this what if he, he I hang up the phone and he's like, this guy's lost his chance and that's it. I would yeah. have packed my bags right there. I would have quit school. <laughs> um, we're actually spending more time than I thought we would on this. But there's one, two, two players left. Yep. A third one which didn't make your list, which we will talk about. Morata, who I thought is interesting, an interesting case, because it seems like no matter where he goes for a starting role, he ends up being the backup. And I wonder if this says more about him than we thought when so many people were upset that we chose him over Benzema, including me um it's it is strange to me that he goes everywhere he goes it just it just seems like he eventually makes makes way for a, another striker who the manager will trust over him which is strange because he's historically in his you know his young history he's a big game player um very good off the bench but maybe as a starter he's not the same as he is as a bench player I don't know. He's a, I, I he's an enigma to me. That's 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 what I'll say right now.
2: Yeah, you're right. And I think he's uh think he's a bit of a head case. I think he's a very a highly emotional player and he's mentally I think that that gets to him and I think I don't know if you saw his interview, uh Sidler had interviewed him and wrote about it and it really came across to me that he's definitely just a highly highly emotional player things get to him um there was a story about how like Killini and Buffon kind of he was crying after Juventus practice and Killini and Buffon told him, hey man like you you, you got to man up like they took care of him but they, at the same time they told him you got to man up like this is this is Juventus and uh I mean he he understood that and he got going but I feel like everywhere he goes he just kind of he goes through these patches he's such a competent player he's such a i feel like maybe his personal life gets in the way like it's all it's it's a lot with him and uh, i think mentally he's still very young so but i think mentally he's really that's his biggest that's his biggest setback that's what's holding him back from being one of the elite strikers in world football is i think he just needs to have that killer attitude that that confidence that he knows he's going to bury all his chances and the confidence that he's a world-class player, and he—I don't think he has that in him right now. So,
1: Conte made a huge mistake, by the way, starting not starting him against uh, uh, against Barça. I—if—if if history has taught us one thing is that if you have an ex maridista in your team and you play him against Barça, he will score. And uh, not enough coaches have picked up on this on this very true fact of life, and Conte it, missed the
2: fact. Yep, it's a fact.
1: Yeah. Um, last one on your list, Jesse Rodriguez. Very interesting case. Um and in a, and in a way very close to Montecito Hearts, a lot of people um are still heard about this which you have written about. Kind of cautious making this comp- comparison, but I'm going to make it cuz I don't think it's actually that off the mark. He's very similar to Drenthe in the sense that I'm not sure how much he cares about football. Um, I also think he's better than he thinks he is, which is good. It's a good thing. That's a, that's a really good trait to have, actually, is when you're that confident in football. Um, I think he's a bit of a nutcase who, who actually... Um, I, don't, I don't know if he, if he really cares about the game that much. And it, it it's clear to me, kind of, also just the, his his mannerisms, the way sometimes he would carry himself on the pitch, um, and he had a lot of unfortunate injuries, and he has attitude problems. Also, he's a bit of a head case, and that was like that was evident like two months ago with Stoke, where he didn't get on the pitch and then he just left the stadium early, like before the game was over. It was really weird, and that's the kind of kind of figure that Jesse has been. I I don't know if he'll ever recover from this.
2: Yeah, and I think in fairness to him out of that stoke scenario, I think what was going on there is he just had a son who's uh,
1: Oh, okay. I knew born, I thought and, his son yeah, came after, but I, I could be wrong.
2: I think that's what the I think okay. that was the scenario. He just had a son and okay. who for those who don't know born with a lot of complications is living like kind of day by day and but the other thing to that story is apparently and I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent but apparently his then girlfriend who he had this son with has come out um on social media kind of bad mouthing him saying you you buy these chains you fly all, all around the world you do whatever you want but you don't take care of your son and you're not there for your son you don't pay for him you don't you don't help my family, like, take care of him, and kind of really painting a bad picture of Hesse. And uh, another interesting kind of per- another personality flaw or characteristic of him is that, I mean, I remember uh, Phil Kitramelides had talked about how there was a very, Hesse and Kadira both had uh, suffered their injuries around the same time, and he said there was a night and day difference about the way Kadira had trained to get back um, from his injury and the way Hesse had trained. Huh. and you saw that as well from how quickly Kadira came back. Um, it was like a couple months before Hesse even. And uh, I think that that's that I think we kind of see the picture with Hesse and it's it's unfortunate because honestly, he was probably the brightest talent to come out of La Fabrica since the turn of the century i mean he was incredibly broke every record with castilla he scored goals like it was his job uh, he was just and that when he was breaking onto the scene with madrid he was just he was he was unplayable and ancelotti even said if say had stayed fit we would have won the treble and it again that's not outlandish to say he was an incredible incredible talent and it's definitely one of the biggest heartbreaks for most madridistas because he was one of our own. He was a kid who came up through the youth system. You, It felt like he bled white. It felt like he had madridismo in his veins. And it was just, it was killer to never see him get back to the levels that he had. And maybe it, it is a question of attitude and it is a question of was it all there for him. And um it's it's really disappointing because what a talent he was he was he was a he was a big time player
1: it seemed like when he came back from his injury he looked a bit i wouldn't say heavy but leg heavy maybe he yeah he definitely lost a step he wasn't as dynamic he was a bit slower um i was really excited that he actually came back to las palmas um, from that PSG disaster stint and and he just really didn't show us anything there, and and also by the way, there was kind of like a ticking time bomb having him next to Boateng. I I don't know. I don't think they um it, just such such big personalities in that sense where they um they I don't know if they meshed. And but he also on the pitch just didn't look good. And I, he he was nice, exciting uh, debut for Stoke where he scored against Arsenal. They won that game. Um, but by the time we, um, we sold him to PSG, um, I think it was the right move, and I had written about it at the time, because a lot of, a lot of fans were kind of emotionally attached to him, and be like, I can't believe we let Jose go, he's still young, the reality was that he was fighting with four other players, just for a backup, backup spot, not even a starting spot. Um, not many teams were willing to pay twenty-five million, and PSG were, and I'm not sure where else you were going to get that kind of money from at that time. So I can understand why Real Madrid pulled the trigger on his sale, um, and, and the fact that also there was no buyback in in, in France. That was it. Like that, I think that's what was hard for fans to accept. Um, but I think if if um, yeah, I, I, I just think it was the right move at the time. I think hindsight has proved us right, which is which is good, but also sad at the same time, because you, you're kind of sad that this is what Jesse essentially amounted to.
2: Yeah, in retrospect, it, it was a good move, and like you said, it's sad, because we we all had high hopes, even going back to Las Palmas, we all hoped he would rekindle that form. We got to see him in La Liga again, and even now at Stoke, it's just it's not coming off for him, and He's still relatively young. He's 25, but I mean, it just—I don't think we'll ever see him reach the levels that everyone expected.
1: Yeah. You essentially have one more player, but you didn't include him, and you already know who that is, right?
2: Javier Portillo.
1: Yes. Yeah. Do you have any memories of him?
2: Uh, yeah, uh, Portillo. For me, he was another one of these guys that yeah he, he he was he was really talked up as the next Raul. it um, was a striker who uh, like Hesse had scored a bunch of goals in the youth system, was breaking records and um, was really well thought of by the club and by everyone and was everyone was excited to see him come up and he just never ever really showed anything that made him look like one of Real Madrid quality and he never. He bounced around from club to club um, never really his career was not great um, and He was definitely a disappointment. He was just one of those guys. He was a young player that came up during the Galactico era and um, He was a hope for the Madrid fans, but he just he never for me. He never really had anything that kind of stood out.
1: I I I actually thought Portillo was going to be amazing. And I'm really? surprised he dropped off the way he did. And the reason I thought he was going to be as amazing as I thought he would be was because he shattered um, Raul's goal-scoring record with the U-System. Um, and then he comes in his very first La Liga game. Um, he... I think he scored on his debut. I'm trying to think. Uh, did he score? Did he score? I can't remember, but I do remember that he he scored an unbelievable 40-yard screamer against Panathinaikos in the Champions League, which came out of nowhere, and that was like one of his first games. I was like, okay, this guy. I'm so ready for this guy. Yeah. And then he scored the. Uh, and then one of the most important goals during that era, like at all, it was. Uh, it was an uh, equalizer at the last second against Dortmund, in Dortmund. And if they he didn't score that goal, Real Madrid had actually been knocked out of the group stages. Like, they were going out. That was it in the group stages, in the Galactico era. It was unfathomable. 2002, um, which was the same season, by the way, where they went on to put one of the greatest performances over two legs against Manchester United. And it was, like, really fond memories. We would have never had that if Portillo didn't score in the group stages the last second against Dortmund. They were going out. Um, and I thought, this this kid is, is really promising. And then that was it. Like, that was the peak, was that goal. Like, that's it. We, yeah. He bounced around, like you said. He went on loan to Belgium. Um, he scored eight goals in Belgium in 24 appearances. And then he went to Segunda. And he retired in 2015. He's 35 now. So, Portillo also another disappointment. This is this is why I said at the beginning, we wait for the next Raúl to come, we wait for the next X to come, the next whoever, and just when we think we have him, he still has to go and actually prove it over the course of his career. Which, ninety-five percent of the time, they just don't. And and this is why the players that actually do are so rare.
2: Yeah. So when we're looking at our, these new crop of young players, we got Teo, we got Sabayos, we got Ashraf. we got Odegaard, we got Vinicius Junior, Yeah. Uh, we have Asensio, we have Viejo, like we gotta be patient with these guys, eat every single one of their careers, is gonna pan out differently, they're all gonna develop differently, some may not, some may have great five-year careers with Madrid and then go elsewhere, some may spend their life and some may just not work out at all, so it's, it's And some may be ravaged by injuries. Like, you just never know what's going to happen. Each story is different. I mean, doing this article, that's what I found. Each story is different. Each player is different. Every career is different. So uh, we just got to enjoy it. Like, for every every Sergio Ramos, there's a Fernando Gago. And so, um, unfortunately, the Ramoses, the Rauls, those guys are very, very rare. So when they do come up, you have to glorify them. You have to enjoy them. You have to really just enjoy the time you have watching them as a player and uh it's 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 fun it's fun to assign these young players but you always got to keep things in perspective and don't get too carried away by the hype
1: and be patient that's the bottom line like we had to be very patient with ramos and Marcelo, and um and if we weren't then we we wouldn't have been able to see the fruits they bear um I think this is a good place to leave it, Matt. Um, it's been an hour. I I thought we would. I thought this would take half hour. Turns out I was wildly incorrect, and <laughs> I usually am about these things. Um, at any rate, do you want to plug anything? Anything else you want to work on in the future that you're you want to give us a teaser about or no?
2: So a couple things I've thought about after actually writing this article, and we touched on uh, one of them. Uh, Ruben De La Red. I I adored him. I thought the world of him. I he was. Like about he was going to be one of my favorite players, and uh, I was just absolutely devastated with everything that happened to him. I might do a sort of kind of tribute article to him or something along those lines. And then another thing I'm thinking about writing. Um, interestingly, and you and I talked about this off air, Madrid really um, in the years Florentino signed Galacticos, David Beckham, Zinedine Zidane, Raul, or not Raul, sorry, Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. We those were the only guys we signed those summers. Yeah. We didn't we didn't purchase anyone else. There were no other transfers, and a lot. I mean, I was surprised by that. You know, I, I feel like I remember us bringing in other guys, but um, that that wasn't the case. And I think it's interesting to go back and just look at how our strategy at, strategy has evolved over time, um, how the market evolves, and uh, just looking just giving some perspective on just the crazy world that is the transfer market, and especially for Real Madrid.
1: Yeah, and I think I think one of the reasons we think that those summers were also, like Zidane plus these guys, Beckham plus these guys, uh, OG Ronaldo plus these guys. I think it's because also, like, in the past, like 2009, 2010, when we had that huge influx, it was like four guys coming at once, you know? Yeah. Um, and transfer busy transfer windows. It wasn't until last season where we started to really kind of change that and only buy the essentials and and, and fine tune the squad um but you're right i mean it essentially it was zidane for example plus uh a bunch of players returning from loan or being called up that was it um which which makes your article a bit easier to narrow down also <laughs> yeah all right, Matt Wilsey. Um Let's let's wait for those articles, and uh, maybe we'll do this again. Uh, and certainly, I would I would love to to talk about De La Red too if you write about him. Um, very sad, but also just that even though it was brief, it was a it was a joy to have him in the team. Matt Wilsey, thank you for joining me. Thank you for your writing. Um, and hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Guys, before I let you go, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to all of our amazing patrons. And for those of you listening who are not patrons yet, you're missing out. It's not—it's only a dollar a month minimum to get in on the action, but you can pledge way more if you like, um, and also get different awards based on your pledge. Uh, but one of the rewards is you actually get access to exclusive content, exclusive shows, such as all Champions League post games, um, including the mailbag I did last night about whether I would like to see Neymar in Real Madrid and who I would like to avoid in the Champions League club. at any rate one of your rewards is also if you pledge $10 or more you get a specific shout out on this podcast so I want to take the time to do this now um, so shout out to all these $10 plus patrons who support the show thank you so much guys Nick Stefane, Frederick Sundros Leon Stavronakis, Bjorn Salvador John Fernandez Said Mahad Sergio Monleon Red Bat Anthony Vasquez, Yahya Ibrahim, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Hatiri, Ian Marley, Dan Berthi, Jahan Watson, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obeid, Daniel Smith, Solomon Artiz, and Jeanette. You guys are unbelievable. You guys are just phenomenal human beings. Thank you so much. Um, it means a lot to us that you guys support us. And also, shout out to all of our patrons. Um, so many of you now. 340, I think, was my last count. Um, Who are getting access to all our exclusive content and supporting us just because um, we like what we do, and that—that is—that um, warms our heart. So thank you, guys. Kian Bunny signing off, and Mari.
0: Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime.